Don't know if you've got anybody to buy perfume for in the near future. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah? If you have, you might want to consider this bottle of perfume that you see on the screen. I'm just going to read the sales blurb that goes with it in my best Italian and French accent. So be prepared to be impressed. Signorina Eleganza Eau de Parfum. Were you impressed? is presented in a unique 1,000-milliliter edition forged by the expert hands of Italian craftsmen. The flacon, made of pure crystal, features a yellow gold plaque engraved with the logo, four shimmering diamonds, while the spherical cap is made of precious gold. Signorina Eleganza is a Florential Chipra that celebrates feminine grace. And here we go. With notes of grapefruit, pear, almond powder, I'm okay so far, Golden osmanthus petals. I have no idea. What are those? Patchouli and white leather. Anybody tempted? If you are, there is a slight snag. This is not the kind of perfume you're going to find in Wilco. (laughs) You're not even going to get it in Debenhams. Even if you attempt to go to John Lewis and buy this, you can get cheaper versions that are £60, but not this particular bottle. You can only get this in Harrods. And you've got two options of how you buy it. You can either travel to London with your cheque or in your bank account you will need £26,500. Or for an extra £5.95 you can have it delivered to your door. (laughs) That's brilliant, isn't it? But by anybody's standard, this is extravagant. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands as to who has spent that amount of money on perfume because I don't think there'll be any in the air. This is just real extravagance. Let's turn in our Bibles. If you've got a Bible in front of you, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through to 11. Page 963, if you've got a church Bible. And do keep your Bibles open once we've looked at it, because we're also going to be flicking back a page at looking at another account as well. So let's read this together. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray briefly, shall we, before we unpack 
this passage. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you will give us your heart to get to the the root of what this passage talks about, about our worship, about our devotion, about our heart before you today. And Lord, as this woman broke that alabaster jar, I'm just reminded that it's in our brokenness that we come today. It's in our desperate need of a saviour. It's in our need of grace and mercy that we come to you today. So Lord, speak to us, we ask. Challenge us, encourage us, move us on. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So Jesus is having a meal, Mark tells us. He's at the home of a man who has the nickname of Simon the leper. If you're going to pick a nickname, that is not one that you'd probably go for, is it? But it's something very significant here. We're not told about Simon the leper. We don't know who he is. We don't know whether he's been healed by Jesus. We just know that Jesus is at his house. And that alone is significant. Jesus has gone to a broken man's house who was considered unclean to have a meal. He has has gone where none of the religious establishment would have dared put their foot. He has gone, as himself, into a place of brokenness. You know, Jesus was often criticized, wasn't he? For having meals with the tax collectors, the sinners, women, those who the rest of society would turn their backs on. Yet here he is, reclining at the table of Simon the leper. Just a reminder that the gospel goes out to everybody. It goes out to us in our brokenness, and it goes out to the world that is broken and in desperate need of Jesus. And so here he is, he's at this house, and a woman comes and brings an alabaster jar of perfume. Now this perfume is made from nard. Nard is a plant that grows in India, and um, it was expensive because it would have travelled an awful long way and would be incredibly valuable. I don't know if anyone's done a trip from India to Israel. Anybody? I never have. Can't see any reason why I would from that direction. Um, But it'd be difficult even now, wouldn't it? It's a long flight, if you think, from somewhere like Mumbai to Jerusalem. You imagine what it was like in the first century, traveling on a horse or a camel. It's an awful long way. It would take you through Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria or wherever, and down into Israel. And as a result, this perfume that she had was incredibly valuable. Guestimates range at somewhere between 15,000 and 25,000 pounds this perfume was worth. So it is incredibly valuable. In all likelihood, this woman had the perfume as an heirloom to a family or as some kind of investment. There's no reason why you would have perfume. You wouldn't wear this type of perfume. It's just too expensive. It would be something valuable to hold. Now, this sounds a bit of a contradiction, but I think what Mark is suggesting here is that this is kind of planned spontaneity. See the contradiction? But what she's doing here is that something spontaneous in her act of devotion, but she's actually thought about what she's doing. Do you normally walk around with something incredibly valuable on you, unless it's a piece of jewellery? Anybody got their pension fund in a rucksack on their back? You know, if I had mine, it would probably fit in a little, it would fit in my pocket probably. But we don't go around with those type of things. We don't accidentally carry things of that kind of value. This is something I think she's actually thought about but it's actually something that is spontaneous. 
And what we find here is that this act that she does here in anointing Jesus with the perfume, it's extravagant, totally extravagant. But then Jesus tells us it's prophetic. And it's also something that the Saviour will call beautiful. Two chapters earlier in Mark's Gospel, I think if you turn the page over, it should be on the page before, um, there is another account of a woman, this time a poor widow. Mark chapter 12, verse 42. She's in the temple where people put their offerings in, and Jesus says, a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. This poor widow had two coins. They were called lepta, these coins, and they were worth, each coin was worth about six minutes worth of work for a day laborer. So you've got about 12 minutes worth of work for a day laborer. I don't know what that translates into today. A couple of pounds, two, three pounds, something like that. The price of a, a sandwich or a cup of coffee. That's what she's put in. But she's giving out of her poverty. She's giving everything she has to the Lord. Jesus says out of her poverty she put in everything. All she had to live on. So we've got this one account here where somebody's giving very little, but Jesus says it's incredibly generous. Turn the page back, go on, physically turn the page back to the, the account we're actually looking at in chapter 14. And we see at the other end of the spectrum, we see this woman with 25,000 pounds worth of perfume pouring it over Jesus' head. As human beings, we were talking about this the other week, weren't we? We often like to relate to one another and relate to life regarding to stuff. You know, the stuff of earth, our, our jobs, our titles, how much money we have, what kind of cars we drive, what kind of perfumes we wear. Well, you may relate to one another like that. Um, but it's all this stuff about stuff, isn't it? We relate to one another in that way. We all know that in these two accounts, two pounds and 25,000 pounds are a long way apart. That what you can buy for two pounds is very limited. What you can buy for 25,000 pounds, well you start to have a few more opportunities, don't you? If you're thinking of it in relation to stuff. But you know, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who holds the very cosmos in his hand, does not need our stuff. He does not need it. He does not need those things that we think are important. He does not look at us and relate to us in relation to what kind of stuff we have. Because it is all his anyway. He made it. He created it. What is it that God has always been after from his people? What is it that God is interested in? Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Right at the start of the Old Testament, it says, Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What was God after in Abraham? Faith. The response of the heart the desires of the heart to believe in God, to believe that what God said is true, to follow him. A bit further through the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs of goats. When you come to appear before me, Who has asked this of you? This is trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. 
You know, it's not the stuff that God is after. It isn't the stuff of earth. It never has been. It wasn't the sacrifices in the Old Testament that were actually what God was after. It was the heart. It's the heart. A heart that resonates with God's will. A heart that desires justice. A heart that desires freedom for the oppressed. That's what that chapter in Isaiah goes on to talk about. A heart that is sold out for the Lord and for the things of God. These two women in these two chapters in Mark's Gospel, what links them both is that they're both sold out for God. Their heart is doing exactly the same thing. What they've actually got to give physically is irrelevant. Whether it's £2 or £25,000 is not the issue. It's where the heart is that matters. And both of these women, while all the men are hanging around criticising, saying, well, the perfume could have been spent and the money given to the poor, it's the women who get it spot on. So women, you can, you can just close your ears for a moment. This is to the men, and I'm speaking as a man. I don't know if you've noticed, men, how often it is in the Gospels that the women get it right. They get it right before the men manage to. They understand the heart of God in a way that then the men are lagging somewhat behind. You know, we'll look at the resurrection in a few Sundays, won't we? Who gets it first? The women. The men are lagging behind. I sometimes think we get so rational and we want everything thought out and every I dotted and every T crossed that it stops us from just pouring out devotion to God. If you're a man this morning, now I think there's something really to challenge us about. Don't get too stuck in the rational that we can't just express our devotion to the Lord in the way that he calls us to. And so Jesus says it's the women here, the women who get it spot on. God doesn't want some kind of pre-planned, ordered way of responding to him. But he wants the heart. He wants that very innermost part of us. So a question, what is your alabaster jar? What is it in your life at the moment that you're clutching onto that actually God is calling you to lay before him? Now, it is unlikely to be perfume, but it may be. It was in this case. It might be something else. It might be your time, your energy. It might be your money resources. It might be that God has burdened you with love for other people. At the moment, you're keeping it all in. It could be anything. That's between you and the Lord. What is your reaction to Jesus this morning? Do you come to him in obligation, fear, reticence? Or do you come to him with this same heart that this lady had here? Just saying, this is what I've got. It's yours. This is my heart's response to the Saviour. But there's more going on here. This isn't just extravagance. Jesus says this is prophetic. Now, I've read quite a lot of things about this passage that I think rightly so link this passage to worship. Um, This is what this this is about. But then they they go on to link it in to the stuff of of the world. And they sort of say that actually, um, particularly books on sort of sung worship that I've read, say this passage is about excellence in worship. So when we come to God, we should sing the best songs we possibly can with the best instrumentalists that we can find amongst us, using the most expensive microphones that we can sing down, in the best building that we can afford, followed by the best ground coffee that you can possibly drink. Amen to that last one. I think that totally misses the point. 
this is not about human excellence. There are, there are other reasons for, for being humanly excellent. But it's about the heart. It's about responding in our own hearts to God, and it's about responding to God's heart and his leading of us. Now, my experience as a Christian tells me something about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I think often in my own life, um, when the Holy Spirit is guiding me to do things, he does it through nudges. He doesn't often... Well, I've never had an experience where God has spoken to me in an audible voice and told me to do something. I know people who have, but that's never happened to me. It's been through the nudges, through other people sharing bits and bobs. And eventually, you get this picture that this is God speaking to you. Um, We shared um, just the other week at the the meeting where we were talking about the the legacy. In Acts chapter 15, there, there is an incredible verse. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now that passage is talking about Gentile believers. It's talking about um, whether they should have to carry the weight of the law and the, the church discerns that actually no, they just need to be told not to eat food that's sacrificed to idols and they're to remain sexually pure. But the Holy Spirit had guided. It had led to decisions, decisions that reflected the heart of God. You know, the root of prophecy, if you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, it isn't all about looking to the future. It's not God just telling us this is what's going to come. It's actually God revealing his heart to us for the here and now. Those words I read from Isaiah, it was about God's heart for what is happening now and how God calls his people to respond. From what Jesus says in this passage to the woman, I wonder whether this woman knew that what she was doing was something that was actually on God's heart for her to do. Look at verse 8. She poured perfume, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. In being obedient, she'd been incredibly instrumental in enacting something prophetic, something that was on God's heart. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be remembering that Jesus died on Calvary, that Jesus died on the cross, that he took my place, that he took your place, that he died there carrying the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And you see here what's happening. Jesus is being prepared for this event. Jesus is being prepared for being laid in that cold tomb. He's being anointed for that event. And the woman's extravagance, the woman's prophetic devotion here, what does Mark tell us? Well, Jesus says, this story will be told. Every time the gospel is preached, we'll hear about this woman. All the gospel writers tell this story. Every time the gospel is preached around the world, we remember this woman's devotion to Jesus. You see, this is an act of extravagance. But it's also prophetic devotion. It speaks of the heart of God in the here and now. I think it's important that we grasp that from this passage. You know, the rich people in the story of the widow in chapter 12, who were going into the temple, they're putting loads of money in but it's out of abundance. It's not out of a response to the heart of God. It's just from what they have. It's that kind of disciplined, religious devotion. This is something quite different. Every night, um, as I'm sure most of us do, we eat a meal. 
And um, just occasionally, I'll look at Claire and say, can you be bothered cooking? And she'll look back and say, no. And we had one of those nights this week. Um, I'd been at the um, Northwest Baptist Association Ministers Conference. So I'd been eating out all week, and I still couldn't be bothered cooking. So I, I came back, and we thought, let's order a takeaway. We haven't had one for months. It wasn't quite that big, but anyway, there's a picture of a, an Indian takeaway just to get you hungry at the moment. But there's something about that, the spontaneity of saying, let's do something out of the ordinary. That for me, particularly when food is involved, that I get quite excited about. Something about the spontaneity that goes beyond the normal. You know, disciplined devotion to God is highly appropriate. It's appropriate that we read our Bibles, that we do that regularly, that we get into a rhythm of prayer. It's appropriate that in our financial giving, we do that in a disciplined and organized way. It's appropriate that as a church, we meet together on the day of resurrection, on the Sunday, and we celebrate all that God has done for us. All these things are totally appropriate. It's appropriate to help the poor. You know, Jesus says you can help them anytime you want in this passage. And it's something we should be doing. But this passage actually goes beyond all that appropriate stuff to something that actually, if you were there at that time, I know if I was there, I'd have found it actually quite inappropriate. This kind of heart devotion to God that is something quite different. Extravagant and prophetic. And it's costly. You know, nobody says that following Jesus is going to be easy. Nobody says that being devoted to Jesus is the life of the easy ride. I suppose we have to ask ourselves a question. What does this look like in my life? What does it look like in your life? What does it look like to be extravagant in your devotion, to be prophetic and responding to the heartbeat of God? Well, if I start telling you what spontaneity looks like, I think we're heading down the wrong road. That's between you and the Lord. I can tell you some examples in my own life of when perhaps this has happened a little bit. There have been times when I've been prompted perhaps to give to something, and it's just been that kind of response to God. There have been times when I've been responded to go and spend time with somebody, and do that in a particular way. Times to step out and share the gospel when it's gone beyond what I would normally do. I don't know what it is for you. It may be something like this passage. It may be something totally different. But you know it's risky? Have you ever thought what it was like for this woman going into this house, bringing her 25,000 bottle of perfume, opening it and tipping it over Jesus' head? How would Jesus react? From the Gospels, you're never quite sure how Jesus is going to react, are you? What would he have said? How would other people react? Devotion to Jesus at this kind of level involves risk because it involves hearing the heartbeat of God and responding as God calls us to. Purely out of love for Christ. You know, she didn't need to do this. There was no obligation for her to do it. This is just pure love for her saviour. And what does Jesus say? She has done a beautiful thing. The act of extravagance, the act is prophetic, the act anticipates the death of Christ. And verse 6, look what Jesus says. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. What this woman does touches Jesus' heart. What this woman does touches Jesus' heart. As I read that, I think, actually, you know, 
There are things I can do. There are things you can do that will touch Jesus' heart. If she can do it, she's a human being, just like we are. We can also bless the heart of God by the way we are devoted to him. There's something else going on here. I don't know if you noticed who appears at the end of the passage. Judas. Judas, who is about to betray Jesus. And it's interesting in the way um, the original reads. It's, it's sort of smoothed out a little bit in the NIV translation. But there is no division between the account of the woman uh, and the perfume and Judas going off. There is, Greek doesn't have commas and full stops in it like English. And there's no verse numbers, and it just carries straight on one story into the other. These two things are totally linked. The chief priests offer Judas money. And what does he do? Off he goes to betray his saviour. He has just seen a year's worth of wages poured over Jesus' head, and perhaps for him it's all getting too much. Do you ever look at other people and see their devotion to Jesus and think, this is all too much? I can't cope with this. I can't cope with the way this person is so on fire for the Lord. You know, just let me just sit and sing a hymn and that, that's fine, but I can't cope with this person's passion for Jesus. Now, I find the finger pointing at me at this point because there have been loads of times in my life when I've thought, I just can't cope with the way that they're living or I can't cope with their extravagance in their devotion. You know, I've sat there from time to time. Now, you can take this on to yourself, but I'm not placing it on you. I can only point to myself. And I've sat there and I've seen friends of mine who've gone off into really difficult situations because that's what they've responded to God in that way. And I'm thinking, I don't think I could do that. I don't think my devotion is at that level. Or I could see people and they, they've given to a point of massive generosity, giving till it hurts. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can give, but I, I can cope with that bit. But can I give until I'm really at a place where I'm having to sacrifice for Jesus? Is my devotion at that kind of level? And we can very easily, or at least I can, say, take this on yourself or not as you, as you see fit. But I can very easily start to become the Judas character in this story. I cannot be the woman at all. I can be the one who is actually saying, this is too much. I can't cope with this. Now, I might not go as far down the road as betraying Jesus, but I can certainly start selling Jesus short. And I can say, you can have this much of me, but the rest is kept behind a nice civilized, or partially civilized, exterior. And I'll go this far, and I'll go no further. I don't know whether you're at that point today, where you're sort of saying, Lord Jesus, in my devotion to you, I'm here. I may even be here, but I'm not coming off this step. Don't worry, I'm not going to walk down and start singing to you or anything. But I'm not coming any further than this. That is it. Where the risk is involved, I'm staying back. I don't know if that resonates with you today. And sometimes I can find myself doing it, you know, if I see somebody um, worshipping physically in a particular way, and I can think, Oh, pull yourself together. Why are you doing that? Is it just me who does that? I can see some nods, you know, thankfully. It's not just me. And we can find things a bit over the top. But actually everything should be Jesus's. The extravagance, the listening to the heartbeat, the act of beautiful devotion that resonates with God's heart, with God's heart. You know, if we don't go down that road, if we do the Judas thing, then we miss out 
we miss out on hearing the heartbeat of God. We miss out on being able to do the beautiful thing for Jesus. Things become a mystery to us. We're there clutching our alabaster jar and we won't let go. Now, I wonder how many people die clutching an alabaster jar. And actually, God would say to them, you know, you could have done amazing things for me if you'd just let go. If that thing had just been let go, whatever it is, and you'd poured it at my feet. And so I'm just going to leave you with that question. What is your alabaster jar? What is God calling you to do with it? Is it something extravagant, prophetic, and beautiful? Let's just spend a few moments in quiet, and then I'm just going to ask the musicians to come up. So let's just be quiet. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Holy Spirit, would you highlight in our lives where we're clutching onto things. Things that could be used in devotion. Things that could be used for your kingdom. Maybe that just God is highlighting something in your own life at the moment. And you actually this week need to go and enact on that. There is a risk involved. But God is faithful. God is faithful.